0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the artist-musician. It is the one and only Cos Chapman, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry, and also his life with the rude mechanicals who are a live band, who do the occasional bits and pieces on Bandcamp. If you need to know any more about Cos Chapman, and you probably should, you can go to his website, which is coschapman.com, or just Google Rude Mechanicals, who are a very groovy sort of prog um, punk cabaret band that's fronted by the one and only Miss Roberts. Anyway enough detail this is the interview so after several minutes of casual but interesting chat we got down to that exciting subject that was the basically childhood whether coz was from a musical house and his parents were they musical this is what we want to know or creative anyway coz tell us now tell us everything
1: um my mum i think always had this feeling she could have been Um, sort of uh, an actress or something like that. But the war intervened. uh, She met my dad. um, They had uh, two daughters in rapid succession. I came along much, much later, uh, sort of like nearly 20 years later, I suppose. So I've got all these sort of big sisters around me and they used to listen to a lot of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and things like that. So I remember them having a radiogram Yes, and listening to Radio Luxembourg myself, which is how I probably found out about um, Telstar and the Tornadoes, uh, when I was listening to Puff the Magic Dragon or something like that. Um, but there was very little music um, around, other than my my father liked um, country and uh, some bits and pieces of uh, light operetta. Mm. Um, <laughs> and my mum was very into um sort of I suppose it would almost be it was crooner-ish but moving into soul. Uh but her favourite song was actually an instrumental uh, Stranger on the Shore by Akka Bilk. Oh my god, that's such a,
0: a brilliant song.
1: Yeah, it is superb. It is superb. It's a lovely, lovely melody. And I remember uh, going into coffee bars or milk bars, I think we might call them or something like that. And there's always a jukebox, and mum would always put um, stranger on the Shore on the Jukebox. This must have been 1964 or three even. Uh, so it's like a very, very early memory. I'd have been two or three at the time. Um, so I can remember those things. And I was interested in um, music. But My father had had piano lessons and he was sort of, oh, I hated them and I'm never going to force a son of mine to go through that trauma. Of course, now I think, oh, if only. Um, and there's a piano that my my sister worked for Jake Thackeray's mother, who was a hairdresser. Now, Jake Fackery, I don't you possibly remember Jake Thackeray is a sort of a singer of a music musing songs. I can't think of a, the Richard Stilgo, but Richard uh, Stilgo,
0: I remember Richard Stilgo and Jake, yeah, Fackery. it's a
1: bit. F- well, uh, Jake Factor is probably a little bit edgier and more um, folky. That's
0: I might, it. Might, might make the big blunder here, but was he in Lindy's Farm?
1: No, no. Um, not unless there's a whole bit of Lindy's Farm's history, which I, I wish I knew. Oh, yes, um, I think
0: he just had a
1: solo career. Right. little funny songs like, um, where, you know, songs about his dog getting drunk or... Um, uh, statues waking up on a particular day and uh, sort of getting up to all sorts of no good and then becoming statues again very strange thought, sort of, sort
0: Would he have been in the same sort of world of like killing pigeons in the park that guy? Yes.
1: yes very much so right. yes. anyway it's his mum and it, there's a piano there and I used to sit and plonk around on the piano um, I was unfortunately, I was quite deaf so I was actually born with a, a hearing problem And um, because my parents moved around so much when I was a nipper, um, the results of hearing tests didn't actually catch up with me until I was about nine. And so I had a series of operations when I was about nine and suddenly um, I remember things being very different. So I started doing rather better at school as you can possibly imagine because it had been unidentified up until that point. So basically everyone thought I was very thick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of used to talking in a monotone, apparently. Um, and uh, then, uh, yeah, I've, everything sort of changed around. And the, the, the sort of interest I had in music, um, I remember I hated very loud noises. And they thought I was possibly autistic or something like that. Um, but I think that's because I, you know, because the deafness had sort of some frequencies would come through. Horribly loud, and others wouldn't come through at all. So I had trouble understanding speech and so on. Yeah. Uh, so a bit and, weird. A bit and, weird was both, <laughs> and was that in
0: both? And was that in both ears? They managed. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. They
1: I managed had to, to have, to have an
0: operation. This must have been the late 60s.
1: Yes, yeah, so mid late 60s. So, luckily, I think it was um, pretty successful. Apparently, my I've got very badly scarred eardrums, and they were basically both perforated for. Uh, a long time, but apparently they heal themselves. I don't know if that's possibly right. Apparently, but the uh, little bone on one side—I think it's on the left side—one uh, of the bones from the inner ear sticks through the ear trap. Apparently, but I don't know what your things should sound like. So.
0: Right, yeah. Well, well, I'm just impressed because I was, you know, as I mentioned, born 64 and um, I was asthmatic from the age of four and they just didn't kind of believe it. They just thought I was trying to be awkward or difficult or wanted to get out of PE, which was quite strange because I loved sport, but I was like, "Mm -hmm." I went, I went not asthmatic but you know it's like oh no you know just it's cough, have some medicine it's like i'm i'm really mm-hmm. struggling and then one day it was like i think he might be dying so it was like you know okay we'll, we'll give you a ventolin but it was like oh thank god for that you know and so i've had it yeah. all my life every day but two months of the year horrendously you know i hated summer holidays because it was just like horrendous so i'm i'm just impressed uh... at the medical service at that stage because it wasn't great a doctor was like somebody who was a bit like probably could just pass the 11 plus. I mean, it, it seemed, he seemed, <laughs> Dr. Dean seemed a little bit kind of casual and relaxed about the whole medical profession. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just thought, God, they, I was impressed that they, because it was one of those things, if someone had anything else wrong with them, they would die, wouldn't they? Because you've realized in the 60s yeah. 70s, it was like, oh, yeah, sorry, mate, but we all die at that. You, you know, you're yeah. not going to survive. So. You've got
1: flu. Sorry, goodbye.
0: Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You've> got, <yeah. laughs> so, so I'm really kind of on that level, just like, well, they, they didn't just kind of cut your head off and go, oh, he didn't make it. We tried to do yeah. Oh, it
1: didn't. We tried to glue it back on, but you know, the Evo stick, it's not. Yeah. We've we've, um,
0: we've learned some things, don't we? Kind of <laughs> uh, I hearing. don't
1: really know what they did, to be honest. Uh, I just remember being in hospital for a long time, um, having things in my ears, and I know they put grommets in. A lot of kids had grommets in those days. They talked about glue ear, where you'd have a weird sort of uh, viscous discharge from your ear. Um, I have no idea what the problem was and um, I just remember uh, there was a long period of me being in hospital and then after I came out of hospital I went from um, being bottom of the class um, you know just like I couldn't spell at all I couldn't I remember the most humiliating thing was doing a spelling test and I was desperate to try and get at least one right so I copied a, a girl in front of me Thing. And I was so, I knew so little about spelling that I actually wrote her name down as the answer to the first one. So I was rumbled and um, had to walk up to the front of the class and tear up my answer paper and put it in the bin and stand in the corner, sort of thing. So I was that bad. Yeah, I was about 10, I think. Um, but then by the time I was about 12, I sort of started reading. And I changed schools yet again. I don't know how many schools I went to, probably about 14 or so. And um, then I started begin, me, being able to uh, get on in class. I was definitely a, always a bit an outsider. First, because I was pretty deaf. Second, I was hideously overweight. And then I was constantly moving. So I was the kid with the funny accent. <laughs> so I had... Um, <laughs> That's a sort of triple thing, um, but I'm, I found when I got to my final school, which was in Suffolk, so only just down the road from Norwich. In fact, I lived in Norwich for a while. Um, I lived in uh, uh, near Southwold. Not in Southwold. We weren't rich enough to live in Southwold, no. but uh, in Raiden, Raiden Modern School. And, um, yeah, I, sort of, I found there I find it much easier. I think I was... Beginning to progress really well, and I was, moved, you know, became the kid that people went to to get their homework done. And I, I accepted bribes for doing homework, usually not being beaten up, but um, that's a bribe.
0: <laughs> but that's yeah. So the modern school, because I went to Strabrick Modern School, and they went, "Oh, you're now high." School, okay, um, which is not that far, but it is a bit. But um, yeah, we just did CSE. So did you from from that wonderful world of CSEs go into? sixth form or did you um quit oh my god
1: scissors <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be telling you weird little stories you I think this is quite true I went to a girls school um St Felix yes yeah, it's a really posh
0: uh, sc- girls school so you would have very, met posh parents posh.
1: I got a scholarship <laughs> there for my sixth form because I wanted to do physics and chemistry um and basically they said but you've only got a, a CSE in general science i'm sorry you can't do physics and chemistry a level you're going to have to do o levels first um, and so I, there i was at 16 thinking mm. okay so 17 18 I was, i'm gonna be 20 21 and still at school i can't do that so i was, I, I was just gonna you yeah, try and get a job and luckily my dad saw there's an advert in the paper for saint felix and wanted uh, boys and girls to apply for six form scholarships and boys and girls okay right and do um you know put in an application got a recommendation from my school where I've done you know I was doing very well there basically and somehow managed to scrape in with a, a scholarship and I was there for two years in sixth form um with uh 500 girls and one other boy um, your boots. I mean, Jesus,
0: that's... So <laughs>
1: and you never guess who the other boy was. Go on, have a guess.
0: Oh, uh, was it Penny Ram? No, he was too old. No, um, not Penny
1: Rambo. Far oh, well, not. Penny Rambo would have been a hell of a laugh.
0: No, but his son went to one of those schools which is very near Southwold, one of those steiner yeah. schools okay. that, that, again, rich people send their children to who don't want to yeah. do classes. It's one of those ones that the kids run the, apparently, they have lots of meetings. They use
1: the curriculum and so on, yeah.
0: Um, are the other well, it's not Hank Wangford, is it? Because he was a doctor then. No, no. <laughs> but he got his name from Wangford, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I saw That's, him many that, times with
0: the at the Bungie fairs, um, God, no, uh, Charles uh, Higson, Higson, Charlie no. Higson, um, no,
1: no, it was not. It was a political uh, thing. He was um, Nicholas Griffin, the leader of the BNP for a while. Why
0: well, I didn't see that one coming, I just not. I would have thought he, he <laughs> would have had a bit of a different schooling because that sounds like you know the sort of schooling that would have. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's quite an interesting. He he had been at a, a public school, very posh school. Uh, I'm trying to remember where it was. Not Framlingham, maybe it was Framlingham.
0: Yeah, was Clarenum, Framlingham College. Yeah, there was one there.
1: Yeah, and then he so he did his sixth form at Saint Felix. And if you uh, look it up, it's like one of those little things about him. But uh, if I put, yeah, I don't know why, why it's there, but yeah, he went. He, he was the, the other boy. Yeah,
0: at, uh, they probably St. they probably <laughs> haven't put they probably haven't put a blue plaque up, have they on that one?
1: No, they haven't, and they didn't. <laughs> uh, they didn't do it again for a while, I can tell you.
0: The aluminium. Uh, I
1: don't think I, yes.
0: think,
1: I don't think I was a um, soaring success, so far as they were concerned, either. i i just scraped D's at uh, the A level. So yes. D's.
0: Well, that's, that's all good. She's
1: not bad at going, I suppose.
0: Well, in my yeah. day, if anybody got an A-level, that was amazing. If anybody got anything below, yeah. above a yeah. C and above, you were basically Einstein. I mean, now kids get five A's at A-level, you're thinking. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so they you go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everyone's so much more intelligent now. I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's like, hmm. Yeah, anyway, so then what happened after you you left, you know, just 500 girls? (laughs)
1: Um, I was uh, strangely very popular with the local lads who all thought I I could sort of basically pimp, Um, so I became quite a sort of like popular chap. Um, I kept in touch with a lot of the uh, the girls there. It's funny because you start saying the other girls, because... You yeah, everyone else there is a girl, so you say, "Well, me and the other girls are going to you say there's something wrong with that sentence I suppose. <laughs> um, so I stayed in touch with them, and um i I went off and I started a degree in chemistry uh, I did one year and i um, I was just finding the maths too tough because I hadn't really done proper uh, differential calculus and that kind of thing at uh, school for my CSEs you don't do differential calculus for CSEs really uh, you do a bit for O-level now I believe or GCSE um, but uh, I just had there was so much maths involved with the uh, chemistry um, particularly thermodynamics and things like that I, was like, oh, I couldn't I really couldn't manage it and I was getting far more interested in uh, extracurricular activities shall we say mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I after a year I went and got a uh, job I applied for a job and amazing got a job as um, a sort of bottle washer at a laboratory in Lowestoft the Lowestoft um, Fisheries Laboratory
0: my god that's I interesting you to say the, the fisheries in Lowestoft because I've been doing lots of interviews with members who started the East Anglian Fairs the Barsham Fairs yeah, and bizarrely, and
1: yeah. Wyatt and, so,
0: and think, various other people all worked at Lowestoft Fisheries yeah. and then, and then they And then they went.
1: Me, they then they went...
0: Bob Chapman.
1: Bob Chapman. Yeah, yeah. If you ask uh, those people, they'll, they'll probably roll their eyes and go, "Oh my God."
0: So there was Simon Loftus, Sandra Bell, yes. Andrew Bell, yeah. Tim Wyatt, and his wife. Yes, and a little person yeah. called Keith. Brander or somebody who? Brander, was,
1: Keith Brander. So, um, Keith Branda was probably the one I knew best, I think, out of that. Last. Yes,
0: he spent a lot. He's now in Copenhagen, you know, and is uh, you know he. Is he? He is no. in Copenhagen. I just spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, so there you go. Oh,
1: well, if you ever speak to him again, saying. Oh like well, him.
0: I will because he was, you know. I mean, it was just a funny story. These great East Anglian fairs, Barsham fairs, started with you know Tim's visit to California. Come back, came back to. Lowestoft, you know, COD, that was it, wasn't it? The COD industry they were all part of. And then sort of wanted yeah. to start up a medieval fair. There you go. It, it always happened.
1: I didn't know that origin story because I went to loads of fairs. I loved them, absolutely adored them. I was, um, yeah, I was very into that. So what year were
0: you Were you in the, the, um, the laboratory there in Lowestoft? I was
1: there from about 1979 or so yeah 79 up to about 1989
0: right god you did you did stick like, it didn't you yeah were you so were you living in low as well
1: i was initially living in southwold um nice and while at the laboratory um, I met a woman who's a graphic designer there and uh, romance blossomed of course what can I say Um, and uh, she had a a daughter so uh, she and became my stepdaughter and I did the very sensible thing of buying a house uh, in Norwich and um, uh, then eventually and lost off because the commute was just killing me, Um, you know, two hours a day. However, I did um, a university course while sitting in the back of a friend's car commuting um so i did all the reading i sort of like initially i was getting quite car sick but i thought i can't waste this time just sort of like sitting in the car gazing out the window so i sort of basically taught myself to read in the back of the car i went through all the the greek tragedies and a load of greek literature and stuff because um they're quite easy because they're in little chunks so it's like a bit lines of dialogue and you can look out the window and then a few more lines of dialogue so i read all this sort of Greek and Roman stuff, not in the original language, sadly, just in translation. So I've got all these penguin classics across my shelves from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I was bought a house. Uh, I got finally got up to the dizzy level of uh, scientific officer, um, which is one one step up. I was in the... I. Fell foul, I mean, do you want any of these weird little
0: Yes, yes, no, yes, it's fine, it's good, it's
1: good. I fell foul of a character called Craster Patterson, um, who for some reason took an a extreme dislike to me, and he was head of personnel. Now, I used to get on pretty well with everybody, um, you know, managers and things like that, but this one character, of course, has a huge amount of power at, a, at an institution like that just didn't seem to like me. And um, we had a round of promotions. I already had two people of the same rank as me working for me, (laughs) doing analysis. So I was doing hydrographic analysis and writing software. And um, I had a couple of people who were sort of like assisting me, shall we say, and really, you know, it wasn't like I had huge amounts of responsibility. But I was definitely doing uh, work of the level above. I was already mm-hmm. doing work of a uh Six people were interviewed and they said, oh, there's only actually five posts, so we're only going to be able to promote five of you. We've got cap this year. And, um, you know, it doesn't reflect on how well you do. It's going to be a sort of fairly arbitrary choice. And unfortunately, you, you didn't get it. It's happened two more years until finally, I think they got so embarrassed that they had to promote me because I was... Every year you had to show you were doing work at the level of above beyond what you'd been doing previous year. Mm. So it wasn't enough to just carry on doing what you had been doing. You had to then step it up a bit more and a bit more. It's due to like weird rules that this guy's decided we're going to be implementing very literally. Uh, and so by the time I did get promoted to scientific officer, I was writing software to take data that's coming from um, instruments we're lowering over the side of ships and basically take loads of noughts and ones and turn that into levels of uh, salinity, temperature, depth, and then plot it out on charts. And in those days, you actually had to write the coding to go from the computer to the printer. There wasn't a piece of software to do that. There was no mm. Excel. Um, so you had to do the whole shebang. And we were using an HP thousand mainframe computer. There was no sort of um, personal computers until I suppose in the mid late eighties. So I got an apricot. Um, Yes, apricot. Yeah, there's there's, a fruit theme to computers. I've no there's the blackberry, isn't there, and the the apple of course. But yes, so I had an apricot and I was um, writing. Uh, you know code and stuff for that I digitized the British Isles I didn't know if you noticed you're now digitized no I had to get all the admiralty charts and I input a data point every 100 meters or so and this was because I got sick and tired of having to trace out a map of the British Isles every time I wanted to do a chart showing the um sort of the salinity in the North Sea and the lines of equal salinity. So basically contour lines. And uh, so I digitised the British child and then I worked out a piece of software to draw the lines, which would then interpolate between data points and took into account tidal changes. Because, of course, while you're doing a survey, the tide's going in and out by several miles. And if you're trying to do a survey in a 10 by 10 square, that means some of your data points are actually stupidly close together and others are far too far apart, so you have to take that into account. It was a huge job because the admiralty charts didn't actually exist in digital form in those days. They were books. So you have to go through these books and put the data in. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of, it is a challenge, and I quite yeah. enjoy that sort of thing. Um,
0: <laughs> And you didn't get promotion eventually. Well, <laughs> I
1: still did uh, eventually, they made me into a scientific officer. I think I was probably doing ages. So now Keith Brander will tell you, i was probably like they promoted me out of sheer charity because I kept trying or something. And I was oh. actually
0: so during remote. that time, I mean, were you were you sort of um, had music become an obsession in your life? Because obviously, yeah,
1: I've been like, doing it right from way back. So, so uh,
0: when did you get your first? Kind of guitar and you know, kind of musical combo. Um,
1: well, my first guitar was probably around about the age of 14. I bought uh, an acoustic, which I still have, which an Echo acoustic guitar, which is rather a I think It's a nice guitar. Um, and then when I was about 15 or so, I got a really cheap Woolworths Electric uh, satellite top 20, which was almost unplayable. Uh, you know, it's one of those things you have to have G-clamps make a chord because it's just so hard to press. Yes. And I think that built up muscles. <laughs> but I, what, basically what happened was I, as myself and a friend, um, um, Michael, well, Mikey... Mikey I think he um, stars himself now. And uh, we used to sort of sit in my bedroom um, with our guitars. And because it was so hard to play, I used to just hit them on the screwdriver and things like that. And just make a god awful round. We spent hours just making horrible noises with uh, whatever we had around and recording it. And I started with um, an old reel-to-reel. Right. I, I got that. And I was doing this chopping up tape thing and so on. And then I found a book in the library about Stockhausen. Mm-hmm. And, Stockhausen. and this is in Lowestoff Library. And I sort of thought I, it was a, an explanation of uh, what he was doing. But I took as I didn't realise that. I thought it was a recipe book on how to do something. And so I was trying out all these things with the tape recorder. That, and, you know, it's a cheap Akai tape recorder. And a lot of them it just couldn't do. Um, I remember I was trying to do sound on sound, but the record head and the uh, playback head were at quite a distance apart, so you had to uh, the playback head came after the record head, so you would hear what you wanted to record onto slightly after the moment you needed to actually do the thing you wanted to record, so you had to anticipate and remember. Um, what things were it also meant. It's easier if you worked in the same rhythm as the gap. Mm. So you sort of like you fix the rhythm first, and then you stick sellotape over the array's head, stop it erasing the sound, and then you could probably get about six or seven overdubs, all hideously out of time. So forget about trying to do anything rhythmic. Just focus on sort of texture and sound. Um, so it sort of moved you in that direction of thinking about it as being a sort of um, what we'd now call sound design, I suppose, and yes. just make. And I was getting sort of bits off the radio and um, using the aquarium pump and sticking the tube in my mouth and sort of making sort of weird noises using this, of changing your mouth shapes or vowel sounds. Uh, Recording that, then I got cassette recorder and started layering things up with bouncing from the cassette recorder to the reel-to-reel, and then eventually by about 1984, I I bought a four-track, the uh, Porter One, I think it was, or possibly no, it's Porter One. Uh, Then I got a weird thing called a. It was a Yamaha music computer. I don't know how many computers Yamaha ever made, but they mm. made this one an FM synthesizer, basically a very sort of low-budget FM DX7-type synth bolted onto the bottom of this uh, computer that you could access um, using software, which came in these big sort of cartridges about the size of a... Um, well, they're larger than the cassette anyway. And you stuck them in this slot, and then you'd have one... Um, one for making your sounds, and you sort of—I learned about FM synthesis doing that, and then you would have another one for actually doing your music. But it was only as musical notation, and so I had to learn musical notation in order to be able to make the sounds work. And, you know, cassette recorder for you know, recording all your data. So you have this sort of—you load up your sounds, and then. Transfer everything to another piece of software and add sounds back in. Uh, But it's sort of like taught you a lot about sound and how to manipulate it. I also had a Wasp Wasp synth, which I still have somewhere, um, which I learned a lot about um, additive synthesis, uh, additive subtractive synthesis. So it's FM synthesis from this computer and um, subtractive synthesis from the Wasp. And I didn't even know that's what they were called in those days, of course, and I've subsequently found out that's the the name of these things.
0: Yeah. So, and, did you, and were you kind of, I mean, at that stage, because the 80s, obviously, I was some very obsessed. <laughs> you know, we got, you know, dear old you know, Thatcher came in power in 79, then you had sort of all the usual political stuff of the early 80s. And, you know, this is when a lot of, you know, bands started to develop, the post punk <laughs> bands and then the indie bands. I mean, were you kind of into those, kind of that world oh, of... The...
1: I really liked, um, so Can were one of my favourite bands. That was one that uh, Mikey, who I mentioned before, uh, introduced me to. Um, and uh, they were like, wow, Cat, this is amazing stuff. Father Cannot Yell was the first track I heard on I think the album was called Cannibalism. It's just like bits of their sort of albums. Um prior to that it had been what you were talking about earlier all the glam rock and things the bowie yes and and heavy metal I was very into metal what but Black
0: the, Sabbath Deep Purple
1: yeah Black Sabbath Deep Purple Zeppelin um and I, you know, by the time ACDC came along I thought well, ACDC sounded like so soft
0: yes it was yeah, Motorhead just, really Motorhead set the bowie okay. was
1: yeah, yeah. The Motel were the last one that I've paid any attention to. Yeah.
0: So during the 80s, you weren't an indie kid then. You weren't listening to the Smiths and going, God, this is. No. Great.
1: During the 80s, I got into jazz and classical music and uh, experimental uh, stuff like Stockhausen and so on. Yes. I listened to a lot of um, Beethoven. <laughs> Bach. Uh, and then
0: Thelonious Monk, a little bit, but we a, like a bit yeah. of jazz. So, you never and prog rock did that just sail past you? caller? Oh,
1: no, I was quite into prog uh, back in the day. Um, so Todd Rundgren, I think, is probably my favorite out of mm. that, that area. Um, though some of his stuff is really, really, you know. I, I, it's embarrassing. There's a song that I do with uh, Reed Mechanicals and it has the line all the albums, uh, all those dreadful albums in your record collection to sort of um, directed at me by the singer in the band because we had all these dodger albums, I played them that's rubbish. I, oh yeah, that is a bit bad isn't it actually? <laughs> <laughs> this one's good. Um, yeah, and I was into Yes. Um, uh, Sort of, yeah, more or less up until uh, punk really sort of like bang, you know, and suddenly it was like, well, why am I listening to this? Yeah, I, I want you know, you know, some of this, you know. I remember a friend of mine saying, Oh, it's this new thing called punk, there's this band called the Ramones, and they're really good. And, oh, yeah, that's better than ACDC, isn't it? Yeah, well, like thank you. Um, and then talking heads, I was very into talking heads. And then um, the um, bands like Pill. Uh, I remember getting Metal Box. I didn't get the actual Metal Box. My mate Buzz got the Metal Box, but I I had to settle for the double vinyl. And um, that—that was like, whoa, yeah. This is this is the stuff. And then I found out the John in into Can, and I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. This is a punk sort of can isn't it uh, so were
0: there people like keith levine that you were quite influenced by was your mm. did there was that i just wondered if there were guitar players that you started to think oh yes i might try and work out how they've done that um well
1: well my first big guitar hero is probably not Bolan, um and then it would be yes with uh, tony omi uh, adrian bellew and um, uh, Robert Fripp, I was very into, um, mm. Caroline, Caroline from um, uh, Cannes. Mm. Um, really, uh, I, t- I mean, with um, yeah, Keith Levine and all those sort of punk things, I listened to it and I liked it, but I rarely really tried to do it. I was kind of more, I was doing my own particular thing. And uh, I I did try and do sort of like copy things. And it always came out so badly. I I thought, no way. It's much easier to go and do your own thing and then no one knows if you're cocking it up or not.
0: <laughs> yes, this is true, and this is a very good. So, thing. yeah,
1: it's sort of like, yes, it's meant to sound like that, so I am relating to the key of the uh, song in a very interesting way, the subdominant, <laughs> you know, learn a bit of uh, musical shit, and you can go. Yeah, the, the other thing about playing guitar is gurning. I decided, if you pull the right face, is that... Um, that, like you're really expressing yourself sort of thing everyone's equally convinced that's no, that's just
0: but it's, like, it's interesting you mentioned adrian blue because um there was david bowie had one of his best lineups with blue on guitar yeah. and It was just amazing yeah
1: yeah yeah yes. absolutely he's superb and yeah we've even uh, later king crimson i remember seeing uh blue uh with levin and Fripp and um bruford bill bruford oh man what a lineup that was yeah. I mean, it's not not necessarily my favorite type of music but you can't fault the musicianship just like I when i was at uni in fact that was um, yeah there's that and the stiff tour if it ain't stiff it ain't worth a fuck was um, yes. that was a superb tour i just remember those because
0: they actually the live album was recorded at uea wasn't it
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I was in that audience. Were you? But, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that um, I'm a police car bike. God, I can't remember the person though. I'm a police car. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's on there. The live version is much better than the studio one. But anyway, it's not Reckless Eric. It's the other one who I think he produced most of the stuff. And I remember it as soon as this finishes. But then, so look, you went from Fishery to to. Did you go to? start to study you know electronic music and sonic yeah. soundscapes then in the sort of was this the kind of 90s or the o years? Uh,
1: it was the 90s, um, so in 1989 I left the fish laps and um, I uh, ended up um, co-buying a Volkswagen camper. Van nice. With my then girlfriend. Alex. I split up with um, Sarah, who's my I got married to. I'm still in touch with her daughter Rebecca, and I was very fond of Rebecca. Um, But you know, things didn't work out, and so Alex and I bought um, a Volkswagen and we toured Europe for about a year. and when I came back, I'd already applied for university. I got accepted by several. Um, I've been doing university courses and things like that, so I already had some credentials. Say, so, look, I'm you know I'm up to the standard of writing an essay and things like that. I was actually a published author for um, oceanography as well. I've written some papers about nutrient levels in the North Sea and things like that, or co-written, yeah. um, and. Uh, so I, I, in the end, decided to go to Lancaster University, and initially to do uh, computer science. And uh, I did a term of computer science, and I have to say it's the most terminally boring thing I have had to try and do in my life. And I, I got to the end of the, I think I only got to half term actually, and I just, I've got to, I've got to do something else. I can't, I can't do this. Um, I was already doing philosophy, so I'd done, uh, I was getting on fine with doing um, philosophical aesthetics, which I've, much to my amazement, I found very interesting, it's one of the few subjects you could just go in and do in philosophy about um, having, um, you know, doing the other courses. Yeah. Uh, and so I went along to the music department to see if I could do maybe a bit of music history or something like that and um i played them a tape i was asked to bring along examples of what i was doing and i had done this absolutely awful stuff which i thought they would like i'd actually deliberately written for them sort of like bad debussy things realized on a computer if you can imagine such a hideous confection um and uh, you know, I remember Anthony Popel, a professor, sitting there going, hmm. And then uh, at the end, was some of my experiments that I've been doing on the computer. And he, I remember him sort of sitting, Bob's like, right, who's this? Oh, that's me. Oh, how did you do it? I was sort of explained. He said, Oh, do you want to come and do composition then? And <laughs> I suddenly found myself in the music department doing composition um which i hadn't realized is what i've been doing all along yes so <laughs> uh, that's when i heard of electroacoustic music and that kind of thing and uh basically i sort of put their studio together bought a whole load of gear no one actually knew how to switch on a computer in the department as far as i could work out whereas i had been using computers for you know, fisheries and so on. So, I sort of put it all together, managed to work out enough about sound over the years to be able to wire up the sound side of it, installing software, all that kind of thing, and um, got a degree out of it. And I was also at the same time doing a lot of stuff. Um, I joined the Theatre Society or Theatre Group, as it was called, and I started doing little bits of sound for them. And that went on to sound design. And then the uh, theatre department heard me, and they asked if I could do sound design for their masters students. So I was working with the masters um, students doing uh, sound design for their productions, and um, yeah, that sort of like got me going into sort of doing a lot of music for theatre and things like that. So Amazing! That, that was That's, fun. That, that was, was a
0: nice a slim, a seamless moment, actually. So then when, when does, um, what's the journey before you decide to, to start Rude Mechanicals, by the way? Is that quite a, quite a few more decades on, actually? No, it's about one decade on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that um... was, so we worried a bit about the millennium bug, didn't we, in 1999? for six months but nothing really happened so then we got into the o years is this when you decide is this your first kind of band that you decide to to start or how does this begin
1: well right rewind a little bit back to me going to um university of lancaster and i um i um, split up with alex um when i uh, well just after I went to the the university and uh, it's there that so I met um, Joe Roberts who uh, otherwise known as Miss Roberts of the mechanicals.
0: Oh excellent excellent.
1: So, but it gives away her age so please don't oh I don't know Should this <laughs> be uh,
0: yeah,
1: she was she was um, a uh, fresher and I was in my third year and she decides to join the uh, theatres group which is what I was uh part of, and I'd become president by then. Um, I sort of, uh, yeah, I, it wasn't me sort of making a great power grab or anything like that. It's just sort of, oh, he's vaguely competent and seems to know what he's doing. You can do the job. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I became the uh, president of the uh, Theatre Society. She was in her third year. I was in my third. She became treasurer, as it happens.
0: And so you two had so much responsibility, didn't you?
1: Yes. So we were, having quite a, we were doing quite a lot uh, together and um, it started going out. And then I got a post at um, the Anglia Ruskin uh, University in yes. Cambridge uh, of a research assistant and um, signed up to do a PhD. And um, so I went down to Cambridge, and I think we both thought, and probably everyone else thought that we wouldn't you know carry on with the relationship, but we were commuting between Lancaster and Cambridge, which is uh, a
0: horrendous commute. It took a hell
1: of a oh man. to <laughs> drive was about four and a half hours, I think, in the VW..
0: Did you spend many times in, um, was it Link? It's, what's the what's the, uh, the station you have to change when you go north from Patton?
1: Oh, well, you, we, to go north, it used to be from Cambridge to London, from London oh, yeah. up to uh, Preston, and then Preston to Lancaster, or sometimes to Manchester. Um, that was the most common one. Sometimes it was via Birmingham, um, and it could take five hours. Uh, <laughs> you know, you
0: so yes,
1: God. yeah. So and no mobile phones, of course, in those days. So I can remember many times, sort of, you'd be sat sort of waiting at the station, and uh, the train would be due in on a Friday. So she'd leave um on, you know, finish uh, last lecture, at say four thirty, straight to the train station, get on the train. At, it's five thirty, so midnight. <laughs> waiting at the station, uh nothing, no no sign of a train. Train arrives, not on it. And okay, do I go home and see if they she's trying to phone or do I wait and see if it's she's yeah. on the next train? Um that was more than once. And um yeah, that's quite... Emotionally
0: scarred after that.
1: Yes, I think she shows a certain amount of dedication.
0: A lot of <laughs> Yeah. And then
1: uh, she sort of uh, came up to, well, after she finished her degree a couple of years later, uh, uh, she was um, had a place in London, but she's coming up to see me in Cambridge, and we started doing... She started doing sort of a performance um, thing, performance art, and that became Miss Roberts. Right. And then I was, had a couple of people who were sort of, uh, they weren't actually students of mine, but they were at the university, as they were undergraduates, and I, whereas I was postgrad. And they started forming a band, and we went through various different incarnations. And Joe was doing performances with some of those bands. And between us, we started up an organisation called Leaps. Live Experimental Arts Performance Society, uh, which still has a ghost website, amazingly. So you can Google Leaps Cambridge, and you'll find what we were doing. And I did it the other day. And my like, God, we were doing two or three things a month for several years. It's yeah. all these, like, yeah, it's all these people who were doing sort of various t- sorts of music because the actual university is impenetrable. They had no interest in doing anything with anyone who wasn't part of the university and um, you couldn't just bowl up and go to any performances there it's you you know exclusive so we basically started our own thing up in um in cambridge and it sort of grew quite big and quite rapidly and um out of that thing of lots of people performing playing together different bands were coming up people were sort of like trying out different ideas at um, the events we did and we used the basement of CB One Trust, which was supposed to be the first internet cafe in Britain.
0: Oh um, yes, I remember them. That was very. <laughs> that felt very cutting edge. CB One,
1: yeah, it? and then CB Two, and I think we were told that one of the pieces that um, we did, we were making videos as well. So I did some, um, Joe and I did some video, and one of those videos was the first on-demand. Um, Media presented in um, Britain, possibly Europe. So that video went up on demand uh, in uh, on somewhere in Cambridge, and it, someone somewhere was able to look at it when they wanted to. And there's probably one person uh, in San Francisco or something who's a mate of the person in Cambridge, but it was sort of like demonstrating the, um, the yes. The Ability, you could do that and at the time that they, uh, they were saying yeah the big problem is we don't have enough content i don't know where we're going to get all the stuff to put on it you know and basically they're talking about youtube and <laughs> all right lack of content i don't think that was the greatest challenge for youtube nowadays <laughs> no. um, so that was fun and we did some um couple of live broadcasts over the internet as well with another group who were doing stuff from a shed um, in, in sort of some, somewhere near Cambridge. And so we... we, and then there's, we actually,
0: quite, there's quite a famous studio. There was, I don't know, in the 80s, and 90s. Is it Space Ward that people, you know, oh. used? And they were like, God, you know, and I know people from America, especially anything that got recorded in that studio, they seem to try and track down and listen to ah, Space I've Wars. heard of it. I
1: didn't work there, I'm afraid. That's, uh, there you go,
0: a bit of Cambridge somewhere. kind of... I think, yeah. 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 It's quite an impressive place. And I think it was originally in, a, in someone's kind of terraced house and then it sort of developed a bit no, more. But, yeah, it's quite an impressive roster. So, yeah, so the rude mechanicals, how did this, this kind of begin from from, from, well, le- sort of from leaps? So did Miss Roberts leaps. already have her um, act? Was, was she already? A persona. Persona. A persona was very
1: much because, uh, have you ever met? Miss roberts uh, only vaguely, only
0: vaguely,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. So very different. You, a lot of people don't recognise the, them as the same person. I, I, yeah, really so I like Med Med Reverend, yes, well, I suppose it's <laughs>
0: like Dame Edna Revage or Barry Humphries. Yes,
1: so um, incredibly quiet um, and uh, shy, and certainly in those days would hardly say boo to a goose sort of thing. Mm. Um, so this was a complete inversion of the. Um, sort of like known and regular personality and um yeah it just sort of it uh we we were playing with in various different sort of lineups we had a little band with another friend uh called the fetish girls for a while where i was playing bass and then um uh, my friend Guy, who was one of the students, but not one of my students, one of the music students at the uh, place, had heard me playing guitar. Because normally i had been playing bass. He was a bassist, and I'd um, been playing a bit of uh, sort of my guitar, which was sort of based on the hitting things with screwdrivers and so on type principle. And he asked if I fancied forming a band with him and his friend um, Oi, and he'd written a couple of songs which he had. Um, Joe, or Miss Roberts, very specifically in mind for doing as um, you know, sort of Zapper-esque, very, very Zapper-y type things. And then the band sort of formed out of that. And then we uh, had a friend who said, oh, I know this someone. Uh, this friend of mine plays drums. And he was actually um, a PhD maths student from the university. And he had done his degree when he was 16 in maths at Cambridge. He's quite right. Yes. Um, he's playing drums. That's <laughs> uh, Jeremy, or ugly boy, as he called himself. And sadly no longer with us, but um yeah, he's he became our drummer. And um we started gigging in Cambridge and really quite quickly now, I think about it. I mean, we were very dedicated. We used to really fly everywhere, so it's before the internet for like spamming people. We used to spam them with real spam, not yes. virtual
0: spam. With, with, uh, with, a, with a sort of plastic bag full of, full of sort of, um, I don't know, was it yeah. paper paste, wasn't it, a big brush? Yeah, see. yeah,
1: you mm-hmm. know, fly pasting. Um And a suddenly case. we were sort of, uh, we seemed to be, um, we'd sort of become really quite a well-known band. And uh, we were filling the uh, Portland Arms, which isn't a huge venue, but, you know, big enough. And it was probably the, the best venue that you could get in Cambridge for a local band, unless you were going to go much bigger. Um, and I, I we sort of, we started playing London at that point and uh, doing odd gigs down in London and people started inviting us to come and play. And we really, at that point, it was kind of when we stopped looking for gigs because people just used to bombard us. We were doing yeah. at least a week for ages.
0: So was your first kind of studio recording was this the the Cyclops and the Wildebeest was that your no. first
1: the first one was so uh, as we met up um via Lee McFadden with Sexton ming who had a label he was um starting uh called RIM RIM Records and um he saw us perform at a um clinker event uh if you no of clinker
0: no but it sounds interesting tell me more yeah. about clinker
1: oh clinker club was a long running alternative Klinker. performance um club that was um run by hugh metcalf initiated by hugh metcalf and his friend ian oh, i've forgotten his second name plays plays euphonium i think if i remember rightly but anyway yes hugh's um mad bit eccentric performer um, he has a, a band called fuck off Batman who um, <laughs> yeah I don't know if I can even start to explain them he did explain his musical theories to me once and I was sort of like oh my god this <laughs> sort of makes sense so his guitar is tuned in quarter tones um, which mm, <laughs> yeah sounds very strange uh and then it's got all these rhythmic ideas about cycles and numbers interlocking and yeah, um makes it very difficult for the for the drummer and then the lyrics are permutations of like four or five words, put in every possible um combination, and then when he's finished doing that, that's the end of the song. So a lot of his songs are like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the Thinker Club is um was his uh, sort of thing for ages. Uh, I think it, it sort of finished about three or four years ago. Kind of, he moved um, to Suffolk. I think it would always been partially based in Suffolk, but he sort of moved permanently to Suffolk when his mum died and he inherited her house, I think, basically. Um, but he used to get the most amazing acts there. And we were really privileged and, you know, um, it's a wonderful thing to have had the opportunity of playing us several times. And that used to get all these sort of um, jazz people who would sort of be playing at Cafe Otto or The Vortex or somewhere like that. And they'd come and do a set at um, the Clinker Club, wherever it was happening, which would be all over the place in funny little basements of cafes and things like that. Nice. Uh, He saw, uh, Sexton Ming saw us performing at a uh, clinker and afterwards was sufficiently impressed to um, say oh, would you like to do a CD for us so um, I was working as a teacher at the um, at one of the local schools teaching music technology so I had access to a small recording studio and we recorded and self-produced and everything else and then handed him a recording and that was about uh,
0: 2008 I think oh so that's not the one which is the Cyclops Cyclops and the Wildebeest would have been a couple of years later,
1: three years later, that's through some friends of ours who we met while we were just coming down to London and actually moved to London. Uh, Paul and Emma, uh, aka Anarchist Wood, though so Anarchist Wood hadn't actually formed at that time. Uh, Punkvert, um, and that was another one, and they called their label Exgratia, and... They asked us if we wanted to do an album, and we said, yeah, thank you. And <laughs> they, they funded the whole thing. They did the pressings and everything. And um, uh, Paul, a.k.a. Erif Sonderbang, for the album's purposes, a.k.a. Candy Flip, for reasons which we, uh, I think are dependent on pharmacology, um, had uh, did the production. Oh she I th- I think he did a such an amazing job on it. And um yeah that's that's how the Cyclops and the Wildebees came about. We had um a sort of a really nice lineup, uh Tom Grenley on drums and um I'm trying to remember what this was Stanley Bad for a while, Dylan Bates, uh but he also started himself Stanley Bad. And um, we had a female persona as well. She's uh, in quite a lot of the time for the mechanicals. Mm. And uh, the actual album um, was um, a lot of the songs were like collaborations between all of us. Some of them were definitely uh, very much from um, Dylan. There's at least one or two that were sort of very much guys' things. And then others were, uh, it's myself and Joe, so we sort of write a lot of stuff together. And um, we kind of, some of them were just really studio jams, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I've been away in South Africa visiting my parents and came back and they had a couple of new songs and we were in the studio <laughs> and I'd never heard them. <laughs> so if you, I don't know if you know the album at all, there's a song like Magnetism. And if you hear it, uh, there's no guitar in the first uh, verse, right? Uh, and I'm playing tambourine on that because I don't know the song. And it's only <laughs> so right, I've heard a verse the chorus. I'm going to pick up the guitar now and play, and that is actually the first take. <laughs> and it was <laughs> me learning the song is uh, actually on there. So um, for better or for worse, that that was that. Um, yes,
0: which you know, is quite other... quite amazing. So with the band. Did it at that stage have, were you in that kind of honeymoon phase of like thinking this is potentially going to get bigger and bigger, or, or were you always yeah. happy to have it as your sort of a side hustle?
1: It was very, very definitely the main focus right up until just after the album. Um, it was really, I didn't have any side projects, um, Joe didn't have any side projects, um. I think Guy, who's sort of the third person who's just stayed with the band the whole time. I could go into so many drummer stories, but we'll leave those to one side for the time being. Um, um, I don't think he was doing anything else at that time. Um, So all three of us were very focused on the band and with uh, Tom and Dylan, we sort of found two other people who were sort of like very good musicians um, It was really good for me to play with them because i I've never thought of myself as being uh, that sort of um, virtuoso musician I can just about manage yes. uh, but um the the you know having them around you can, you you feel that've you've, you've got a cushion almost. Like you, Previously, I'd always felt I'd been kind of holding things together because we'd had a drummer who was a little, don't want to be unkind about someone who's no longer with us, but he tended to get a bit over ambitious in what he played and often would kind of lose the one if you weren't careful.
0: Right. And
1: I was a slap bass player and was off all over the place, basically playing lead bass. And I would be sort of slogging around the chords, trying to hold down, you know, this is where the chorus is going to come. Now, often Jo might not be able to follow what was going on anyway, or she might be working the audience, and not ready to go into a chorus because she's down dancing with someone or something like that. And so I'd be queuing things in. Um, and then I can't, couldn't really play anything other than just go around the court. But with uh, Tom and uh, Dylan, it was, I didn't have to worry about it. I knew Tom was always gonna be following the thing perfectly. He would listen very carefully to Joe, and he knew he would see when she was ready to go and I'd you know, do a snare roll or whatever to get, get us into the next part. So I was able to um, do a lot more in that particular ensemble. So yeah. it's a really good one to be with. And sadly it's sort of just stopped after that, after that album.
0: Did it? Just, yeah, yeah. What was the what was the kind of the, the musical uh, moment?
1: Well, it you know, could be say musical differences. I think the the thing that really um, made it very difficult, we had um, we got uh, offered a gig at WOMAT. And we've been trying to get festival um gigs for ages, and people kept say, Oh, it'd be such a good festival. Oh, you ought to play the festivals. And you go, yeah, yeah, get us into a festival, we'll play it very happily. And they said, Oh no, you should send um you should send a tape or C D to so and so, and you send it off and never hear a thing, of course, because they're not gonna sit and listen to CDs from random people who just chuck stuff at them. Um and so getting a, a, a gig at a festival and WOMAD was a pretty good festival to get a gig at. Um, but for some reason both Tom and uh didn't, didn't seem very keen on the idea. They didn't really oh God, have we got to go all the oh, way Yeah, but you're getting free, you know, free entry to a really good festival. We got food free, yes. camping free, you know, we I, I went down. The, uh with uh, marina my girlfriend for uh, the full weekend um and guy went you know went down and so on. but uh dylan and tom they arrived so late um we were playing quite late on this the sunday i think about four o'clock or something like that five o'clock they'd actually closed the gates we couldn't get them in. And so we had this terrible runaround of trying to actually physically get our drummer and the sort of violin keyboards into the festival in order to play um, at this, you know, the event uh, in one of the tents. um I was getting, you know, I was a little bit peeved, shall we say. Joe was, I think, a little bit annoyed and so on. And there were a few other things going on that sort of like added pressure and ratcheted things up. And I think that was the sort of moment where things sort of fell apart a bit. And I can't remember anyone specifically saying, I'll never play with you again or you're never going to play this band again. It just sort of like at that point, you know, people weren't turning, you know, weren't turning up to gigs and maybe they weren't told about the gigs. Um so I can't honestly remember how how that sort of panned out, but that was the to me the crucial point. I just said my mother was seriously ill, um, and uh, on the very day we had the gig, and I had to fly off to South Africa the following morning to go and see her. And she fortunately she pulled through that time, but um, I was sort of under a little bit of stress because of yes. That. So um yeah, you know, that's that kind sadly that's just when we really should have been um trying to plug that album because I thought it was that was a really good album. I I've always felt it was um better than my expectations by a long way. I remember hearing it and being like, Whoa, you yeah, know, that that's us, wow. And that's at least in large part down to the absolute excellence of the the other musicians and the fantastic um, production that um, Paul put in. You know, he was a very imaginative, creative producer. Yes. Um, sadly, is also no longer with uh, us. So, gone.
0: It's just yeah. yeah. So look, then. So then, were you because you're on your your about you page? You played oh loads of other people. So did you become a kind of guitarist for hire were you one of these kind of getting in we need him
1: yeah I suppose I don't know just people ask me and I'm I'm, I think oh that sounds interesting yeah I wouldn't mind that Uh, well, (laughs) well the first ones was um uh after um Tom um left the band we had another uh chap coming Jonas and um I think I that think the, the Joe found him difficult, shall we say? I can see why, because he can be quite a mercurial character and sometimes you're trying to work out what he's talking about because he's sort of like, what are you saying, man? Um, <laughs> but he was a very, very good drummer, um, but um, yeah, he didn't get, um, kicked out exactly, but you know, we sort of it went off in different ways. Um, but I actually found it quite good playing with him. And so um, there was a band he had going called the protagonists of David Gadsden. Um I saw them playing, said, "What you really need's a bass player." And so I started playing bass with them, using Joe's bass guitar. In fact, it's the bass guitar she owned, and. In that band, Shiren, um played, who's also known as Spew, because uh, of her initials, S P W, and someone sticks an E in. That's probably um, Dylan, because she, she and Dylan used to go out together and knew each other through the A band. Mm. Uh, and so, when uh, David decided he didn't want to play live anymore, that became Spew, and so I've been playing now with Spew for quite a while. Uh, I met Marina, my partner, um, because Root are mechanicals quite often playing gigs uh, with um, a band, I trust me, what it was called at the time, Demi Mond, and, which is Jowl Head's band. Right. At the time. And so um, through knowing him, through her more than anything else, and through Lena Fadden, who's a friend of his, uh, I found myself in his next band, which is Infernal Contraption. Uh, Anne Pigal saw me playing and said, Oh, do you want to come and play guitar for me? I need someone to do it. So I've ended up doing quite a lot of um, guitar and I'm on her most recent album. Um, though, to be honest, the mixing and production on there is so fantastic. And I'm sort of like, Is that me? I suppose it must be.
0: Excellent. Oh, excellent. Right, okay. so then, um, <laughs> so, and did the Rude, Rude Mechanicals, did you come back together for, was it glass, was there kind of quite a gap before you did Glass Eye?
1: The Glass Eye, then it's um, Cyclops and the Wildebeest. And then since then, we've recorded probably about four albums worth of material. And each time we've got to the point of thinking, right, we can now go and do the vinyl out. There's been some things happened that's um, sort of like stopped it in its tracks. So we did a whole load of recording um, with the group we had about, oh, it must be seven, eight years ago. We had um, Phil uh, MFU, who's um, then in Vanishing Twin, which is why we sort of stopped that. Recording because we no longer had a key member who appeared on there and then, um, so that sort of like held things up a bit. and We sort of got nearly finished and then you think, well, you know, we've got another uh, unit together and started working on the same songs with them for months while well re record it with this new one because it's a different sound. And then they changed. And it's been um, sort of lineups and then illness has been a, quite a factor in it. So both myself and Joe have had um, quite a lot of um, things happen. I mean, Joe has uh, epilepsy, apart from anything else, and that can, you know, uh, make life a bit difficult. And um, we did a recording session again with Paul um, and unfortunately the bass player couldn't turn up for the recording session, so It was just drums, vocals, guitar, and um, Dylan on keyboards and so on. So that there's a session with that lacking bass, and the bass player never did get around to showing up and playing the bass, and so sort of bass got dubbed on there. Uh, I think uh, Paul was playing some of it, and I played a little bit, Um, and then uh, there's a disaster with the hard drive. You can guess the rest. Yes. Oh, well, I've got some old MP3s of rough mixes of that one. And so it goes on. Um, and I've done a whole load of recordings now with um, that have uh, Kevin Matthews, who is Sex Gang Children's drummer for the Ooh. song. Um, so, yeah, he's with the band for about f- three years. Um, but... Yeah, we had a, um, a a disagreement, a misunderstanding, or whatever you want to call it. I think I probably shouldn't go into too much detail about that particular one. But um, yeah, it's uh, turns out he's not going; he's not in the band now. So we're now working with Jeff Bloom, who is um, uh, television personality's uh, drummer with Jow. Uh, Zhao, Jow's yes. in the band, well, of course. Um, so we've got do we carry on with those recordings with the previous drummer or do we and so it goes
0: my god it's um, a complicated world isn't it it's like a a sort of a a movable hr department you have here isn't it really you've just it's it's almost like donald trump in the white house period isn't it just kind of har and fire who's
1: playing trump
0: Um, (laughs) i don't know there's a, lot, there's a lot of personnel going through your band.
1: Yeah, yeah, there has been. Um, we, we've had islands of stability. And uh, I mean, lots of people like Dylan, um, it's just he stopped coming along.
0: Yeah. But with this, a- new band, with this new lineup, because they're pretty steady, aren't they? They're, they're the sort of, I wouldn't say they're the Marks and Spencers of, of musicians, but they're kind of steady, aren't they, Jeff? Yeah. Joel, Jeff and Joel Jeff and Joel they could be, god, you know they'll start a band now won't they without you but um <laughs> but, uh, but do, do you feel like oh thank god look we've all been around the block we've all got our history uh, we, can we just do the the rudimentals as well as all your other bands and and record the album do some live dates is that the is that the theory now cuz um,
1: um i think we what what is going to happen is that i have more or less finished an album or in fact it's more or less two albums of a recording about a third of those tracks have ended up with myself and joe uh doing the recording and then i've been adding keyboards and bass and extra sounds and so on and so forth the rest has been a basic recording that's been done probably in a rehearsal room or something like and i've recorded uh shiren uh, who's decided not to play with the band for a while because she's been too busy being a mum basically um and uh, so her playing saxophone jowl doing various things like synths and various instruments that he's made um so sort of building it up like that um and i'm doing extra guitar and extra hand percussion and things like that to get it and i actually really like those tracks where it's sort of like almost organically grown but it's using the um the, the multi-tracking that i was used to when i first started that's how i actually did all my music back yeah. in the 70s and so i've got all that stuff i want to get that out there that's Know yeah, the main thing we've got to do now is decide on what the album's going to be called. Um, and I'm pretty happy with those recordings. What happens after that? Um, I need to find out what uh Jeff and Jow want to do. jow has got all his own stuff, he's just had a book launch,
0: yes,
1: great. Yeah, yeah, he's I was talking to him today because he's. That's him moving in over here. You can see. I don't know if you can see the strange creature.
0: Yes. yes. Corner.
1: That's one of Jael's artworks.
0: So, so um, on that, on that, do you recommend the book?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. It's uh, it's all about swell maps. It's the, um, swell maps. the the book of the band, if you like. So it's the swell maps um, history from seventy two to eighty one or something like
0: that right because uh, i was getting I, confused because there was there was two books he seemed to be connected with there was one somebody was doing oh god i don't know there was too many projects i was getting, and and so this one on swell maps is a classic and somebody's drawn something about his studio but i might be completely mistaken here
1: uh i think yeah he was doing more than one uh, the one that i know that's actually reached
0: fruition
1: is the uh swell maps. Right.
0: Must buy it. I don't have yes. a
1: copy of it. I'll it otherwise. Yeah you could
0: wave
1: um, it. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately uh, copies back at uh, Marina's. Um so that's the one that's definitely out now and he's been working on it for a while and it's compiling a lot of archive material that's um been sort of around that he's managed to sort of uncover. He's also been going through his um, recorded archive and stuff that he was doing with um, EPIC, EPIC soundtracks. Um, so there's quite a few things there. And then he had um, his, the, what he calls the uh, Maps Collective, has done some performances, uh, Cafe Oto and then they performed at Rough Trade East to launch the book, and I think they're going to be doing some more there. So they're... Um, I don't know how much time he's going to have to be really in a, a band, which is definitely for him a side project.
0: Yes.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't... You know, It's up to Jeff how much he wants to... He's got other bands as well. Well, so absolutely.
0: I, I mean, the, the bands are... He's on it, isn't he? So look, you've got some live dates, haven't you, coming up as well. God, have I got to tell you what those are? You'll have to look on, them no, on the No, well, actually, I, I uh, do. One's, <laughs> um, God, this is actually probably long the second
1: of, second of April we're playing at the 100 Years Gallery.
0: And this is just you and myself and
1: Rob- Miss Roberts with uh, we will have um, our friend Tim Bowen who's going to be playing cello and they will recordings I was talking about earlier that I th- would really like to get at his play on at least two or three of those um, and this was during lockdown I just sent him the tapes, across, he sends it back and Kath who's um, Kath Girl Brands uh, who also plays with the Medieval Babes um, and she's played Saw. Um, vocals and so on so she'll be coming along. we've got to try and fit the vocals in the saw in the cello and sort of kind of works out but she said she'd be quite interested in doing backing vocals so we should have been rehearsing uh, yesterday but unfortunately they've got covid
0: Mm. so we
1: couldn't do, do that uh, and then Jeff and Marina will be uh, along to join us on some of the songs. We're having a rehearsal to sort that out, 100 Years Gallery, full drum kit. Yeah, but uh, we want to try and keep it sort of more, uh, we played there as a duo and has actually worked really well, can hear all the words. And then we've got the 11th Hour Adventists joining us, which is um, Zhao, with um, our friend Jasmine Pender, who's also known as Rotten Bliss, she plays electric cello, and uh, they do sort of murder ballads and things. So that fits quite nicely with the Rhythm Mechanicals. Um, and Zhao, um, well, I'm going to see how things go tomorrow at rehearsal, and then let Zhao know if we think, you know, there's some some of the songs he might want to join us on if he feels so inclined. So, Fantastic. This yeah. is all
0: very exciting. This is very, yep. so look because you've had such a sort of interesting sort of narrative. I mean, and I normally end with the kind of the last kind of classic cliche. I mean, if you could have said something to like a 16, 18 year old self, starting out with all the the experience and wisdom and um experience especially and and the drummers you've had is there anything you would have just kind of would have wanted to tell yourself you know that you've you know those bullet a few bullet Uh, points that you'd have thought yeah that would have been good i know you you sort of had more of the career and then you know music coming sort of slightly in a different way but it's always interesting what people say because it's like oh that's interesting because i
1: moved to london joined the clash Um, die at 27 of a heroin overdose. I think would be the main bullet point. (laughs)
0: Um, But if you missed that, what would you... (laughs) If you missed those... Uh,
1: I think, uh, right, the... um, I should have really gone more into um, doing live improvised music and live band music. Rather than going to university, I think that was the, um, or even, you know, gone to university. And then I spent the ages doing the PhD, I was teaching at um, university. And um, really, by the time I finished that bloody PhD, it was, I was so sick to death of computers. <laughs> Doing sort of like minutely detailed electroacoustic, you know that those millisecond sort of things that take you half a day to get an attack on that sound just right. Um, And I I just wanted by the end of it to you know get a guitar and make a bit of noise and stick things between the strings and hit it and stuff like that. And I should really have sighed doing that a little bit earlier and gone for doing more stuff with um, performers. I, I did, did quite a lot of stuff with dance. Yeah, I went to Taiwan doing this dance project a couple of years ago, and I'm talking to one of the dancers from that, again about doing some more with her and the director, no, sorry, producer from that. The, the, the director from that project is now a monk. She's gone become a monk in, um, in China.
0: Yes. Chinese,
1: I suppose that's, that's it sense. does happen. I
0: know, actually, I was, I was watching a, a documentary about George Bess I know it's quite different, but his one of his very first and serious girlfriends also became a monk. And it's kind of weird Do you see the picture of her yeah. in the 60s yeah. with George, and then her now with her robes and shaved hair, and just right. talking about their romantic early years when he was hadn't, yeah. hadn't lost it got, had really early years. So it was beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah, we changed, oh, don't Kong we? Kong. There you go. Yeah,
1: Hong Kong's now a monk. That's um. I didn't realize until a couple of weeks ago I knew she'd gone off to do something different in China. she said oh, i'm going to be going away for a while. don't worry it's all fine okay and then um, the next thing I know she's a, she's a monk. <laughs> um, but anyway the the producer is um going to we might be going well the talk that I had with over his uh, is that um might be putting a project together to go back to Taiwan or China um, in a year or two's time. It's mm. been really nice, I quite fancy that.
0: It would yeah. be very brave. Of you. And well, I, I should that'd... have
1: called you for that. Yes.
0: That's, that was...
1: uh, that's the message I would give to my young self. The band is good, I would, but um, oh, there's so many like detailed things like don't listen to that person who's telling you to do it, you know, don't give that money to that person who tells you <laughs> you you're going to um you know there's i can go blow by blow account of all things (laughs) but um yeah i don't know what else i could have done very differently to be fair
0: (laughs) no it's fine but i will i will just um i'll just i will send an email to keith and say keith bob sent his regards
1: yeah please do please say okay who
0: Oh I know He'll be like, oh, sorry. Now he will remember it all very fondly, I'm sure. Get on yeah, no.
1: He he can sing, he's got really good voice. I remember trying to do a, a madrigal with him. I had a book of um, music I'm having a guitar. Oh he's a proper musician, he can really do this. And I'm trying to, go, I'm trying to play these guitar, all these chords that I'm not used to because it's not at all the sort of music I've ever done. Yeah, it's yes. really good.
0: <laughs> well, look, Cos, well, thank you ever so much for this. This has been amazing. If you want, I can always send you the kind of the link and you can always put it on your Facebook page because people love that. And, um, or what? Oh, your website, you've got websites, haven't you? But I've been looking I've at it. You've got or to have it. But website. I hope you, I, you know, I hope, I know it's a bit unlikely because I'm in Norwich, but hopefully we'll get to see the band because it does look very exciting. And I have to say... Well,
1: we played Norwich. Uh, wombat Wombat a few years ago at the um uh the art center premises Premises art center
0: the art center good art arts. you probably remember when it first started don't you
1: yeah i do yeah so i was around that at the time yeah i'd love to come back to norwich actually i've got uh, loads of friends in the area um so Yes. It's not outside the bounds of possibility, the waterfront or somewhere like that. Yeah, it's
0: God, that would be brilliant, actually. It would be brilliant. But anyway, look, I'm, uh, I'll let you get on, but thanks again. Yeah. And um, look, much appreciated and take care. And oh, thank um, you yeah, for thanks for your back. time. Thanks. <laughs> See you. Bye-bye. Sorry to all which on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, and that, dear listener, is the end of the interview, just in case you didn't realise. Um, but a massive thank you to Cos Chapman for giving me the time for that. Um, as I said at the beginning, and we probably said during that interview, uh, a member of Brood Mechanicals who have got gigs throughout the winter, and um, do check out their website, and also they have got a Bandcamp page, and uh, so does Coz Chapman, which is Chapman all one word, dot .com, indeed. Anyway, this has been The C86 Show, this is David Eastor. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show, also All these have been archived. Aren't you lucky? So, um, yes, do check them out as well. Uh, Yeah, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. That's cool. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.